0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu podcast.
1: This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, the regular season is finally done, and it's time for the playoffs. Oh, and the new play-in tournament. We'll preview all of the postseason action and look back at the special weekend with the Basketball Hall of Fame with someone who covers the league 365. But first, Darlene, get us started.
0: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before
1: Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas. Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Otto Strong and not Aaron Berlin because Aaron is feeling the effects of COVID shot number two. But we have somebody with us who's taking his place. None other than Bruce Bernstein, Chief Content Officer. Bruce, how you doing? I'm doing great, Otto. And uh, Aaron, just want you
2: to know I'm renting, I'm not buying. So we hope you get better soon. We want you back here next week because we need to hear opinions from you on things like, I'm about to ask Otto. The Clippers and Nuggets, were they tanking their last game in order to
1: avoid the Lakers, auto? What's going on? Uh, in a word, yes. Like, you know, wh- if you don't have to face the Lakers, why would you want to? But I've said this before. I feel like the Lakers, if you're going to take them out, the best chance of taking them out is, is in the first round. That's my personal opinion. So I think you should, you know. But yeah. as,
2: as the great basketball coach Avery Johnson told me one time, Home court advantage really is something you shouldn't be too concerned with because if you're a championship team, and I'm not going to try and do my Avery imitation because none of them are any good, but if you're not a championship team, you know, a championship team doesn't worry about winning a road game in the playoffs. You're going to have to beat these people eventually, right? So uh, I agree with you, Otto. I think uh, why avoid them now? You know, you can pay me now or pay me later. Exactly. Speaking, speaking of which uh, down in Miami, they're looking for some payback too, or maybe the team they're playing is looking for some payback. But the OG of the Miami Heat, Udonis Haslam, well, how would you describe his debut this past weekend?
1: Well, so so for for starters, the OG is actually the UD as he's known down there, <laughs> as as you will know, but. Uh, I think what he was on the floor for, I mean, I, I think, our, I think your, favorite, your favorite rock song would have played in less, time, <laughs> in more time than, than he actually was around for. But look, he's like, when you look up glue guy in the dictionary, there's like, there's his photo with the Miami. They just, they, they love him. The organization loves him. And, you know, he's, he's reciprocal with the love. The fans love him. So, look, uh, you know, they, did they need him for that, for that game? No, but, but he'll be around for the playoffs, right? Hey, listen, you know,
2: if anybody sort of epitomizes the the attitude and the spirit from the great tradition in Miami of, you know, Alonzo Mourning and Pat Riley, it is Udonis Haslam. However, as Stephen A. Smith would say, uh, his team is going to be going up against Milwaukee. And one of the great individual matchups that I look forward to in that series is Giannis against Bam Adebayo. I think those two guys... That is going to be a heavyweight fight, and I just can't
1: wait to see it. How are you seeing that series, Otto? Because I think that one's going seven. So, I mean, I'm going to agree with you because, like, it feels like you've got some series that that you've you've already kind of, like, kind of penciled some teams in like Brooklyn Nets you've already kind of penciled them into the second round and then you've got the rock'em sock'em robot series which is like <laughs> gonna be this it, it just feels like you know they're gonna be throwing haymakers you know not obviously not in the Udonis sense necessarily but yeah true you never know but in the basketball sense it feels like they're gonna be trading blows um and this one could easily go seven um and I look I'd I'd like to I'd like to say that Milwaukee's kind of figured some things out and they're they're going to emerge because if they don't they oh wow I can't imagine what that offseason is going to be like up there if they don't how are you seeing that?
2: well I think that you know when it when it comes to mental toughness and having an, an edge and a chip on your shoulder Miami has just always been able to muster that sort of emotion to make up for whatever gap in talent they might have. Uh, but I agree with you. And we had on, uh, Brendan Haywood on, Bucket uh, buckets, boards and blocks last week. And he was saying that if Milwaukee doesn't at least win two playoff series, in other words, make it to the Eastern conference finals. He didn't say win the East, but make it to the Eastern. He said, Mike Budenholzer is probably going to be gone. So, uh, you know, uh, if you're a real estate agent in Milwaukee, keep your eye on that series. There might be some <laughs> listings coming on the market, uh, in the market soon. But, uh, I want to ask you about a team that's near and dear to your heart. And I'm not talking about the Lakers. I'm talking about the New York Knickerbockers. Oh, yes. Four yes. versus five. Atlanta Hawks on the schedule. Uh, discuss, Otto.
1: Okay. So, you know, the Knicks won this season series. Actually swept the season series. That just feels nice to say. Just like, like the sound of that. But – um, you know, our, our producer, uh, Dan Kramer, tells us that, that uh, the Hawks are at a 60% BPI, if I'm, if I'm quoting, the, quoting accurately. And now I'm not sure who's doing the stats, or maybe somebody was up a little too late or didn't get enough uh, Java <laughs> before they said that. But I just, I do not see, uh, I don't see this series going six games. And I think, I think the Knicks are going to pull it out. I think there will be some kind of guarding magic, if you will. Uh, when we, when we get, you know, it's the playoffs. It's not, it's not the 19,000, uh, you know, it's not the mid nineties with Patrick Ewing but it's going to be something other than regular seasons guard, regular season Madison Square Garden. I, that's what I feel. So I'm sensing five Knicks go.
2: The one guy that I think New York really has to be careful about. I'm not really worried about Trey young. I don't, I don't see Trey young being a difference maker in the series. I think Nerlens Noel is going to definitely have his hands full with Clint Capella because Capella averaged 17 and 17 against the Knicks this year. And granted, they lost all the games. So, you know, numbers can be deceiving sometime. But Capella is one of the guys on Atlanta with, you know, some significant postseason experience. I would expect him to come up big. And, and the one thing that Atlanta has had going for it for the past couple months is Nate McMillan as their head coach. Since Nate McMillan took over that team, he really turned that group around. He's been a a successful coach for a long time in this league. And, you know, it'll be kind of fun, Otto, to watch how he and Tibbs match each other when it comes to strategy. So I agree with you. I think the Knicks win this series probably in five. I might give Atlanta two games, but I'm not giving them more than that.
1: Well, we promised you a special guest at the top of the show, and we're going to bring him on right now. He is Jared Greenberg of TNT Sports. Joining us to give us his thoughts on the playoff matchups of the first round and beyond and what his thoughts were on the uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremonies last weekend is Turner Sports and NBA TV, Jared Greenberg. How are you doing, guys?
0: Good. Great. I'm just fired up that we finally got playoffs and I'm excited. Uh, I can't tell you how excited I am to get back into an NBA arena. haven't been in a real NBA arena covering a real game uh since march 10th 2020 so i'm fired wow up yeah. so the whole so the
1: whole season without without being inside
0: right i mean I, I was at i was i was at the all-star game so i guess that okay. i don't know if that counts but okay. um and then i was in the bubble too last right. year but that just it felt like we were on stage instead of being in an actual <laughs> basketball venue the whole time right
1: and of course now we have the play-in tournament so yeah. uh any any quick thoughts about about that from your perch?
0: I think it's worked out better than the NBA could have imagined. Um, you know, I think what the one of the biggest issues we've had in the NBA, it's been a fair criticism from average sports fans or average NBA fans, is that all 82 or this year, all 72 games don't necessarily mean as much as you would like them to mean. There was a lack of integrity with teams resting players left and right, particularly the last couple of weeks of a season. There was the obvious tanking issue that we've had. And I think um, this minimized that to a certain extent. I loved how teams were from the bottom up trying to play up, right? So teams outside the top 10 were trying to get in the top 10. Teams 10 through 7 were trying to get out of the play-in to get in the top 6. And then you had the standard teams. That were five, six, seven, and eight trying to get in the top four to be home court advantage. So, these different tiers that were created, I think, is great. I think the couple of things we'll watch for here is we're going to have the old rust versus rest question with the top six teams having a week off between games, and so many of the teams over the weekend resting their players in the last couple of days of the regular season so they will have had up to seven or eight nine days off before they play Uh, and then the other part of it it's kind of an unintended consequence and I remember last year when we did this in the bubble and I was covering the Lakers so closely they were not excited about the fact that they had to wait for the Portland Memphis game to get over to figure out who their first round opponent would be. Same scenario is going to happen here. The number one seed is only going to have 24 hours to figure out who their first round opponent is before they play them at a best of seven. That doesn't mean they're not still going to be favored and they shouldn't s- still win, but that that eight seed is coming in with momentum after winning two games to earn the eight seed and the one seeds had that week off and not knowing who their opponent is.
2: Well, let, so let's just jump right into this whole you know, play-in situation because, to me, I mean, I don't think there's any question the most intriguing play-in series is going to be Golden State against the Lakers, obviously. Yeah. Um, LeBron, I think, starting the mind games a little bit early, telling everyone LeBron, in the world "LeBron knows Steph Curry is no. the MVP. You know, a little, little flattery, a little buttering him up a little bit. Yep. I mean, LeBron's good at that stuff. But, but uh, here's the thing. The whole play-in scenario was not intended to put a team like the Los Angeles Lakers on a tightrope with no net below. I mean, this but talk there isn't about a, unintended consequences,
0: Jared. But, but there is a net, Bruce, and that, that's the thing here is that they could lose to the Warriors and still have another shot. The, the, the thing that protects the 7-8 and eight seed is that you get two opportunities to win one game. So mm-hmm. the Lakers theoretically could lose to Golden State on Wednesday night and then they will play the winner of San Antonio-Memphis on Friday night, the teams that were ninth and 10th in the conference, and they should win that game, right? So at the very worst, the Lakers are, are going to be the eighth seed, you would think. And, and the bottom line here, why I don't feel bad for these teams, is because you had 72 games. You had 72 games to avoid this scenario, and you couldn't do it. And I think this is what we need to get back to. And, Bruce, you know this very well. We need people within the NBA to value its television partners and its fans way more than they have. The league has taken for granted, particularly its teams and players, the money that comes in from its fans and television partners because on a nightly basis, players say, Game 50 doesn't matter. Game 16 doesn't matter. And we're still paying for all of that. There's still a product to be cashed in. And I think at some point, that well is going to run dry if we continue to devalue the regular season the way we have.
2: Well, you know, I I totally agree with what you're saying there. I mean, for me, I I probably overstated the peril that the Lakers were in just a little bit by saying no net. Mm -hmm. But given the fact that they've had some injury issues this year and you just, you know, they're they're totally dependent on two guys. I mean, either one of those guys goes away. Guess what? The Lakers aren't winning the championship. So I think that there's really only a guarantee that there'll be two postseason games for the Lakers. And, you know, I think the TV partners were expecting closer to 20. So that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Slight, slightly overstated, but still in all, um, I think I agree that keeping the most numbers of fans engaged as late in the season as possible is great for business.
0: Yeah, and, and I think we're going to see this. Um, over the next few nights, the television ratings, I would anticipate, are going to be off the charts, right? And, and while, one, while you'd rather have that for a potential seven-game series than a one-game series, the bottom line is it's building the drama and, and getting the momentum going in the right direction into the playoffs.
1: And, and here's the other thing. Big picture to pick up on what you were saying, Jared. Look at – I mean, there, at least in the West, certainly, there is no easy out. I mean, you you are, you are balling every night and, right. and which, which is, a, which is a testament to the league is a testament to the, to the players and union and how everything has been structured to this point. I, you know, I, I realized what, you know, I I could kind of see both sides of it. You had 72 opportunities to win enough games to get yourself right. in the top six. So don't complain. And at the same time, yes, you know, this is, a, this is a league that it's as healthy as it is in large part because of the fans and the right. fan devotion. So you got it. You got to You know, you got to make sure that, uh, that that there's something that fans feel they they have you know that they got a, a, st- a stock in here. So quick, so real quick because we got a lot to talk about. So who do you, who do you see coming out of the, of these of these four planes?
0: Um, so I, I would imagine, you know, the with Bruce sitting at TD <laughs> Garden right there, it's so <laughs> tough. It's like messing with my mind. Um, I, I, you know, uh, this this Boston team, you you just don't know what team's going to show up. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and I said this on, on NBA TV the other night when I was on, we, we kind of lose track of, and this year I think we got caught up in the play-in and the competitiveness of that, which I think was good to take our imagination away from what we usually see. We forget that teams that are 7 and 8 and now 9 and 10, there's a reason why they're there. It's because they lose games that they should win, and occasionally they win games they should lose. And that's what bad teams or below average teams do. So which Celtics team is going to show up tomorrow night? I don't know. The thing that I do know uh, about that particular game, uh, Wizards-Celtics, is that whatever Russell Westbrook we see in the regular season typically is not the guy who shows up in the postseason. He tries to be a one-man wrecking crew where he takes it upon himself to have a one-on-one battle against the opponent's best player, and that often works against him and his team. With Bradley Beal being injured as well, I think that's a problem. Boston should win this game. Uh, on Tuesday night but we've said that probably 50 other times this year that Boston has lost so I would say I'm still going to go with Boston even though I know I'm probably going to be wrong about it Uh, I would say Charlotte will beat Indiana because they're a mess and their injury report just came out right before we came on the air and Indiana may not have some of its best players for this game and then in the west I'm taking the Lakers over the Warriors uh, because I think LeBron's setting us up I think he's his ankle is fine. I think that he's, you know, buttering up, as Bruce said, Steph. And then I would take Memphis over San Antonio.
1: And then and they'd come and then coming out, you know,
0: for the eight for the eighth spot. Right. For the eighth spot, I would say the Warriors will beat Memphis again. Uh, and then I would say um, I'll oh, say so Charlotte. Charlotte will be Washington.
2: All right. You know, it's funny because the 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 let I, I'm assuming the Lakers are gonna end up with the seven as well, which means that the you know, Phoenix Suns, as wonderful as their season has been, and, yeah. and it, it's been probably the best story in the NBA, maybe along with the Knicks this year. Yep. Um, what a nightmare to have that season in first round. Guess what? You're getting LeBron and you're getting AD and you're getting a whole lot of trouble as a two seed.
0: No question. I think that that adds all much more intrigue to it as well. Um, and it's so funny that, you know, we all deal on, on social media or in – in the podcast world with with fans and and homers who who just want respect for their team and I think it's so funny in pro sports when we we demand respect for a certain market or a certain team it's so different than college sports right in college sports you're worried about how you're ranked what what the what the polls are going to say about you in pro sports it's as simple as going out into the field or the court and winning and Teams like Phoenix and Utah all year long have been saying, you're not paying attention to us. You don't think we're good enough. You don't realize such and such about such and such. And I always just throw up my hand and say, okay, that that you will have your opportunity to show all of us that we missed the boat on you because once you are a top two seed in your conference, you simply raise the bar of expectation, not for your internal fan base, but for all of us out there. And oftentimes it becomes a be careful what you wish for scenario for a lot of these teams.
1: So, similarly, uh, you know, I'm the sports center down for Store Telegram, and, and the local team, the Dallas Mavericks, have <laughs> drawn the Clippers again, which, yeah. uh, you know, it's just going to be, I feel like it's really going to be a tough out for them. Um, I, how how, how, you, how you think that one's going to go?
0: Yeah, I think. I'm actually higher on the Clippers than than I thought I would be at this point. You know, Mm -hmm. when we entered, uh, it's tough to compare year over year because of just how weird last year was with the stoppage and then going into the bubble. But Mm -hmm. if we just take, when we entered the playoffs, I would have bet my mortgage uh, that the Clippers were going to the NBA finals representing the Western Conference. I just thought that they were so talented. I thought that they would work out. Um, But and there's not much that that makes me believe after watching them this year that I feel like they have that magic that I thought they had. But I also feel like maybe they've talked less this year and maybe that that will lead to greater success. Um, I, I just feel like Paul George is playing some of the best basketball of his career that really people are overlooking because they want to they wanna throw shade at him for what he's not done in the playoffs. And ultimately, yes, that, that could come back to bite him if he again – is absent in the playoffs, but uh, he's been playing great. Uh, Kawhi, when healthy, has been great. And I think they they have some obvious holes, but I think every team in the Western Conference has some obvious holes. But, yes, I I think the Clippers come out uh, against the Mavs.
2: I can't wait to see how Patrick Beverly and Rondo – attempt to take Luca out of his game because oh, yeah. we know Luca as great as he is, has a tendency to every so often, you know, lose a little bit of emotional control. And those are two of the best instigators in the entire NBA.
0: Bruce, such a good point. I've been talking about this with a lot of people recently. It's really becoming annoying to watch. Um, you know, it's funny uh, speaking with my mother the other day, who's just like a casual NBA fan and her favorite player is Luca Doncic. She just loves how exciting he is at, at games, how uh, boisterous he is, how emotional he is, how much fun he is, how great he is. But it's also becoming uh, like watching the little kid who doesn't get his way. He throws a temper tantrum at least once a game. And remember, he was on. Now, the, 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 the technical and flagrant fouls start over once the playoffs begin. Everybody mm-hmm. starts with zero. But – Luca was one technical foul away in the regular season from drawing an automatic one-game suspension, and those were very much earned. He probably could have gotten a few more along the way, uh, and I wonder if that's something that Rick Carlisle is really going to try and harness without affecting his game. And I know a lot of coaches—that's a tough line to balance there because a lot of coaches need, a lot of players, pardon me, need that emotion and momentum to help them be great. But but Luca's having an issue with the refs, and it's almost every possession now where he's looking for a call, and then when he doesn't get his way, he oftentimes commits a silly foul back down the other end or doesn't come back down the other end to defend. I could
2: see Rondo and Beverly in the locker room with this little <laughs> book that they're looking at yeah. called Slovenian Insults.
0: Yep. just
2: <laughs> just getting them ready.
0: Yeah. Oh that,
2: yeah, they, they
1: are yeah, they definitely are going to be be zeroed in on him. Uh, hey, so let's finish up on the Western Conference and then we'll they'll move over to the East. So we got a couple of series we haven't talked about. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that Utah, we probably feel we can just kind of slide them yeah. on into the second round, uh, which then leaves uh Denver Portland.
0: Great yeah. matchup. Yeah. Um, but I think Denver is more prepared for this matchup, and and if people have not watched what's happened in Denver since Jamal Murray went down, they're missing out on a budding superstar in this league. Michael Porter Jr. has finally, unfortunately, uh, silver lining, Mm -hmm. gotten what he's wanted, which is more offensive responsibility. And that's because of the Murray injury. And he has answered the bell. He is shooting the ball incredibly efficiently. He's playing more defense. Not saying he's a great defender, but Aaron Gordon's going to give them that defense that they severely missed when they lost um, Jeremy Grant in, in free agency. Uh, and Jokic is Jokic. He is, he is such a stud. He also has an issue, too, with whining on a regular basis, which I'm curious to see how that translates in the playoffs. But but he has just been so good. And the issue we often had with Jokic earlier in his career was that he was too much of a playmaker at times, and, and we as fans wanted him to grab the game by the throat and just attack. And he has learned how to do that. He's not just necessarily uh, looking to defer. He's looking to, to rip your heart out on a nightly basis, and it's a lot of fun to watch.
2: You mentioned Jamal Murray, and, you know, it, what, one of the great highlights of last year in the bubble was that interview that you did with him, which was uh, one of the best. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was one of the best interviews because both the interviewer and the interviewee gave us something. So that's Thank one. I'll, I'll always remember that as one of your personal signature moments. Appreciate uh, that, Bruce. Sure. But, but, but what are we thinking here, though? I mean, Portland's backcourt. I mean, those guys on any given night could be good for 60. And I know that Nurkic and Jokic kind of have some history against yeah. one another. I mean, Nurkic was on Denver when he first came into the league. So I see that as a seven-game series.
0: Yeah, no, no, no question. Um, but, you know, the thing, the thing about Portland that scares you is just as much as those two, Lillard and McCollum, could go off and, and give you 80 points in a game. Uh, what we've seen too often this year is too many games where the two of them shoot combined six for 30 from the field. Uh, and that's why they're in the sixth seed and, and not a top four seed. So I, I just think the trust factor. And I also think too, you know, listen, I'm not an old school guy by any stretch of the imagination. I very much believe offense wins championships in the NBA today, not defense, but the Portland trailblazers are so bad defensively. they, they are, I, I believe they ended the season second to worst defensively in the NBA, which is amazing that they even made the playoffs. Um, so I, I just feel like, you know, and, and Denver, you know, they've been a, a bad defensive team and all of a sudden they've started to play defense. So I just think that there's more reliability with Denver. There.
1: Switching over to the East. Uh, so you're going to be, can we, can we tell the people where you're
0: yeah. going Yeah, I'll Go be uh, covering the, uh, the, the, the Nets and whoever they play.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we, we think, we think that whoever they're going to play will be Boston. So, okay. right. Cause that's, a, that's we we have them coming out at this point. Uh, what, what do you imagine might happen in that series?
0: Well, I, I think, you know, the nets are kind of hoping for a scenario where they get kind of a ramp up series, right. Um, where they could kind of ease their way into the playoffs and, and get, not only their big three on the same page, because I don't know that that's as much of an issue as we're making it out to be, as much as it is who the other two guys are, and how they support that big three, and all of the different scenarios that Steve Nash, you know, I, I, I was just on the air with Jim Jackson on NBA TV the other day, and Jim played with Steve Nash and knows him well, and he said, listen, we're all talking about the the players and lack of continuity and trying to figure one and each, each other out. But what about the first year head coach hmm. who has to balance all this talent? And yeah, the Nets are incredibly deep, and and even guys like Mike James, who they signed from Europe, has been really really good and and could give them some really important minutes in the playoffs. When you know you've got three, you only have two spots. How do you get those other guys on the court and keep everybody happy? um And and matchups are going to be huge in the East, too. You know, we talk so much about it being a perimeter-oriented league. But as we saw the last month of the season, teams like Milwaukee and Philadelphia just absolutely abused Brooklyn inside the paint when they played. Um, You know, when when DeAndre Jordan goes from not playing any minutes in certain games to having to guard Giannis and Embiid in other games, Mm. that's a problem for Brooklyn.
2: That was, you know, that was one of the things that concerned me when they made the trade where they, they, you know, moved Jared Allen off the Mm -hmm. team because Jared Allen, uh, although not a veteran guy with every trick in the book, besides having kind of the best Afro in the NBA, he was a rim runner, a rim protector, and he could take up some space in the middle. Jeff Green isn't going to be doing that for those guys. And, you know, DeAndre Jordan, as you said, I mean, is not the guy from three, four years ago. So for me... Brooklyn's going to have to average 125, no matter who they play, to, to, to move on. But I think they would much rather see Boston than Washington. Because, you know, Russell Westbrook's so great, isn't he, Jared?
0: <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, I, I won't take anything away from Westbrook. He has had an unbelievable last couple of months. Uh, what bothers me about Russell Westbrook is just his, his awareness, um, being alert of time and situation, in games, and series, in big moments. And, you know, we saw, it <clears throat> we, we saw him do this in, in Houston last year, too, uh, at times where he, during regular season games, is okay with deferring and not taking wild shots. And then as soon as it comes to crunch time, all of a sudden he forgets that you don't have to take a 30-foot jumper with 17 seconds on the shot clock. Right? You don't need to force a pass, um, you know, three quarters of the court down the court and turn it over. You don't need to go one on one with Damian Lillard on a regular basis, even though he's a bad defender, because ultimately, um, you know, you, you're, you're not the best scorer on your team. And I think that's what happens in playoffs that, that sometimes gets him out of his game. Uh,
1: so we're going to, we're going we, to, we're trying to cram a lot in here. So we're going to kind of, say that, that philly's gonna move on okay uh which which gives us a couple of more series to talk about and then we'll then we'll talk to uh, some hall of sure. fame so Knicks, atlanta and milwaukee miami
0: i love both of these series um you know start with milwaukee and miami i i thought that this was the series miami did not want to have if i was miami i was hoping that the nets dropped to three because as i said you know, as, 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 as talented as the Nets are, they need that ramp-up period to get everybody on the same page, for Steve Nash to figure out how to manage a seven-game series. For Milwaukee, they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder. Miami's the team that stunned them last year, knocked them out of the playoffs. And if you have watched Milwaukee this year, they are record-wise a way worse team than they were last year and the year before. But they seem way more prepared for playoff basketball this year than they ever have been. So I think I'm taking Milwaukee over Miami. Uh, not, not an upset, but I think if people are looking for the same magic that Miami had last year, they're going to be severely surprised. And then that, that New York-Atlanta series, classic offense versus defense series. Knicks, uh, third best defense in the league, fourth best defense in the league. Hawks, one of the top ten offenses in the league. Is Trey Young ready for this type of spotlight, particularly at Madison Square Garden? where even though there'll be a few thousand fans, it starts to feel like a playoff atmosphere. It starts to feel something special there. Um, I'm going to take the Knicks in that series. I just feel like the Knicks are, have more veterans, not necessarily that have been there because they haven't just like the Hawks don't have any guys that, that have been there except for Clint Capella. Um, But I'm going to take the Knicks in a seven game series.
2: Julius Randall pretty much had his way with Atlanta in every matchup this season. And, Mm. I mean, certainly, you know, if, if, if you're going to talk about the short list of like great individual stories in the league this oh, year, you know, Julius Randle's no question. right
0: there. No question. He has been he's been awesome. I'm debating. I have a few hours until we have to get our awards ballots into the league office and um, trying to figure out whether Julius Randle is going to be both on my top five list for MVP and whether he's going to be on first team all NBA is a big struggle for me right now. I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether that's going to happen.
2: We'd be remiss. I mean, because of who you are, what you do, where you grew up, the people you work with, the people you work for, we have to ask you a few questions about some of your colleagues and, and even friendly competitors. But I really want to start with Marv Albert. Yeah. Uh, he announced his retirement. You're a kid from the New York area. Grew up listening to him, no doubt. Was a person you respected, idolized, perhaps, and then you had a chance to work with him. Tell us your favorite personal Marv
0: Albert story. Um, I I think I think my there's a couple. I'll, I'll start. I'll I'll give you Take this your time. One. We got time yeah. for this one. Give, yeah, give it to us. <laughs> no, I mean it really is. Um, every time we do what's called a, a game open, right when. Uh, the big TNT music comes on. You see the shot from the blimp. Uh, Marv tells you what the temperature is outside, even though the game's being played inside. Um, you know, they give you the standings, kind of what's at stake for tonight. And then they come on camera and say hello. And every time he says my name, I and I'm thinking about it now, I'm getting chills now. I get chills every time that happens. Um, it's really a pinch me moment, Bruce. Like you said, you know, grew up in, in North Jersey, uh, watching Marv first, you know, on, on NBC and MSG, um, and then obviously, you know, on TNT for the last however many years, remarkable. But the, the coolest thing that I tell everybody about doing national, nationally televised games in the NBA um, for TNT and, and ESPN gets the same access is that about an hour before the game, we get a, a mandatory 10 to 15 minute conversation, off the record conversation with each head coach. And typically that conversation happens in the head coach's office. There's no cameras. There's no recorders. It's just the broadcasters and the coach, usually the PR person. And I remember the first game I did with Marv, it was a, a Minnesota at Denver game. Um, and it was a couple of years ago, right when, um, when, when it was coming down to the wire last minute, last uh, couple of uh, games left in the season. And the two of them were battling for the eighth spot in the playoffs and we sat down in Tom Thibodeau's office and I was getting ready to ask all these questions and I had stuff for Tibbs and all this stuff. And, and Marv just went, Marv takes over the meeting and ask, goes player by player, by player, by player, asking questions. And to hear how he asked those questions and to then hear how he worked it into the broadcast, I, I thought it's just, it's an art, you know, and it's, 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 remarkable and, and I you know it's been it's been awesome working with him there was one time he messed up my name in the game open <laughs> and after after like so the, that's the game open after the game we're in, in a, a car service back to the hotel and this is now like three and a half hours later and he's like profusely apologizing to me for doing that
1: yeah so Mike Green who's uh, a recipient of the, Kirk- the Gowdy Award yeah. um you, you you guys also must have must have had some uh some stories to to talk about
0: yeah um mike has meant a lot in my career and um uh, mike uh mike mike i'll say this mike mike and i nearly almost worked with one another at one point and um he did a lot to try and help me and get me in position and um and Mike and I keep in touch often. And Mike and I also have a a uh, a mentor in common by the name of Ed Ingalls, who recently passed away. Ed was Mike's mentor when he was coming up through Fordham, um, and Ed was my mentor at Hofstra. And um, he's really gotten the two of us together. And, and Mike and I are really close. And I, he's just like probably one of the classiest men I've ever met, and just. He's just an awesome guy.
2: Mike and I actually work together. Wait, you know, you—it's funny because I know you went to Hofstra. You just mentioned it a moment ago. Mike and I worked together 30 years ago at Sports Channel America, mm-hmm. and our studios were on the campus of yep. Hofstra University yep. and uh, in beautiful Hempstead, Long Island, New York, yep. in the shadow of the uh, Long Island Coliseum, or whatever they call yeah. Nass- it. Nassau
1: Coliseum, yeah. Nassau
2: Coliseum. Yeah. Otto yeah. being a good Long Island boy, too. He's, uh, <laughs> he, he well knows that neighborhood. It yeah, tested and daily Brini- on these things. <laughs> Breeny was we worked together just before he started doing the Don Imus show. And it was so funny because at the time I was nominally his boss and I'm using air quotes on that. So it's so funny. He always gave me credit that I did not deserve because he said, you know, I had to clear it with you because I was working for sports channel and I was under contract. I needed to get permission to do Imus's show and you said yes. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell was I going to say? Do you see where we're working? You know, he was, but he was, he's always been that kid from Yonkers, never forgot where he came from, humble, gracious, just a a total class act.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you. You can't say
2: any more about the guy than that.
0: Quickly, I'll just say this about the Imus show. Um, So I, growing up in North Jersey, I would go to sleep, I'd fall asleep every night with the Mets on the radio, listening to Bob Murphy and Gary Cohn. And I'd really kind of subconsciously study play-by-play and how to do games. And then my alarm would go off every morning to um, WFAN, because that's what the channel the Mets were on at the time. And I'd wake up every morning to get ready for school, middle school, and high school, to IMIS back when he was still on WFAN. And hearing Breen do those sports updates, that's obviously how I was first introduced to him.
1: And uh one of your colleagues uh, uh chris Weber uh you know is getting in next year
0: yeah it's i i i like I'm still angry that he's not in already, and I know we need to get over mm-hmm. that we need to mm-hmm. just celebrate that he is in um and and i hate i i hate to to crap on anybody else's parade right this is not about you know pooping <laughs> on anybody <laughs> else's resume but but what the like If the Hall of Fame wants to bill itself as the Basketball Hall of Fame and wants to put people in from all genders, from all countries, from all aspects of junior colleges in the middle of Iowa for what they've done, then then, then how have you ignored a guy who was the best high school player in his generation, who was the number one college recruit, who was the number one college player for multiple years, who went to multiple final fours, who then was a five-time all-star. And if not for Tim Duncan and Shaquille O'Neal would have been an NBA champion, right? Like, and then you're putting guys in the hall of fame who, who, who average five points a game never have been in an all-star game. It's just, it's frustrating how this is done. I just, I wish at some point somebody would stand up and say the NBA Just like FIBA, just like the women's college game, just like the college game, just like the high school game, each have its own Hall of Fame. The NBA needs its own Hall of Fame so we could truly honor the best of the best that have come from our sport and our league the way every other league around the world does it.
1: I, Bruce, I don't know about you, but I don't think we can add anything to that because I, <laughs> I feel like we just put the hammer down. <laughs> That's a drop the mic right there, Jared. <laughs> that 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 certainly is. So, I thought about uh,
0: that one for a little bit. Sorry, guys. No, <laughs> hey, it's, hey,
1: we 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 love it when people play. You know, the full thirty minutes, which is yeah. you know, I think we made thirty-five strong. I think we're doing tonight. But hey, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. You're you're always always great talking to you, and and for you know everybody out there who's going to be following the playoffs and you know check out Jared on you know Turner Sports. Uh, thanks again, man. You got it,
0: guys. I always love having, I always love checking you guys out, and I appreciate you having me on.
1: That was dope.
2: Well, to the surprise of nobody, Jared Greenberg is an awesome guest, uh, and he really did have a drop the mic moment there at the end. So thanks to Jared Greenberg for being with us. Meanwhile, over the weekend, the Basketball Hall of Fame had its induction ceremony. And uh, obviously, the headline individual going in was the late, great Kobe Bryant. And Otto, you've been a Laker fan of uh, a certain level for a while. And Kobe's somebody that certainly left their mark on,
1: uh, on you. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I was at the, the 2009 uh, Michael Jordan uh, Hall of Fame indu- induction. And I just, I, I guess, I, you know, you always thought that, you know, the guys that, that played while you were covering the league were going to be there. To actually deliver the speech themselves, and and you know clearly when 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 the accident happened and in, in the aftermath of everything, you know we realized that that was not going to be taking place. But still, it's like there's a, there's a new gut punch every every several weeks or every several months. I feel like with, with this, and it's just compounded because a uh, Kobe incredible career, NBA career, just just phenomenal. But putting all that to the side, if you if you could even imagine that for a second. The imprint that he's had on the on the game. I mean, uh, other NBA players, uh, women's basketball, not just the WNBA current, but I mean, going all the way down to to his, his daughter. I mean, Gigi, who was tragically killed in the car and in the accident as well. And it's just like you, you feel like I just kept. It was just a reminder that we we got we we got robbed big big time. And and I obviously put all this in the context of uh, there is no greater loss than that which Vanessa O'Brien is, is and, and her girls suffering. I mean, that, that is first and foremost. But from just looking at it from a basketball perspective, just all of the knowledge and all of the things that people won't get to um, see and experience. You know, think about how um, you know, he reached out to a Sabrina Ionescu who was wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey at her first game and then she sinks a game-winning shot uh, but the liberty. I mean, it's like you know, like we're we're gonna be living with this and having these reminders for for quite some time. And just I don't know. I mean, it's it it all. You know, it's it's just like it, it's like kind of like ground a bad Groundhog's Day in a, in a sense, if you know what I
2: mean. Well. You know, unfortunately, Kobe's not with us anymore, but certainly the whole Mamba mentality mindset is something that he has passed on to a lot of different people, Diana Tarazzi as well as Sabrina sure. Ionescu uh, and many, many others who who have tried to emulate him over the years. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, Kobe had five rings and uh, another fellow who went into the Hall of Fame this past weekend also had five rings. Uh, that would be Tim Duncan of the San Antonio Spurs. And... He surprised a lot of people, I think, with uh, his speech on the podium. But it's funny. I've had the good luck in my lifetime to be friends with several of his former teammates, uh, you know, Bruce Bowen, Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson. And I would often ask those guys about Timmy. Uh, Because, you know, being a member of the media and having covered the NBA for all these many years... (laughs) You know, Tim was always very much kind of like, you know, keeping the media at a distance. He did what he had to do, but he really didn't do anything more than what he was obligated to do. And that would be a disappointment to guys like you and I who would cover him. And, you know, he was a little bit of an enigma in a lot of ways, although, um, you know, people who speak less and let their actions, you know, uh, define them tend to be that way. But one of the things that all those former teammates of his told me, Otto, was that Tim, is really funny he's a hilarious guy he's a great guy he's not this sort of introverted kind of you know reticent sort of personality he's a ball buster right and uh it it, it's good that uh you know I, i know he dropped a few little ones along the way but uh it's always great when you know i you you mentioned the 2009 ceremony right i was there too do you remember the John Stockton speech at that? Yeah. That was unbelievable because yeah. Stockton was like Timmy. He didn't really yeah. say much to the media. He didn't even like to, but Oh my God, when it came time to open that bag, it all came out. So it's good that people got to see a little bit of a glimpse of, a, a glimpse of, of Tim Otto.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah, that would, that was a, a special night. And, and you're always, always kind of think like as, 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 folks who cover, you know, we, we have a certain level of access and, you know, thinking about the fans who don't kind of, this is, this is their moment to kind of have the, have that interaction and kind of see that. So I'm, I'm happy that uh, that TD was able to, to uh, you know, put, put a little show on for, for the, for the fans and, uh, and, and next year, we're going to look forward to uh, Paul Pierce and uh, Chris Weber and Ben Wallace. Well, look,
2: Ben, I, I kind of look at Ben kind of the same way I look at Dennis Rodman, right? I mean, he he was a championship contributor because of defense and rebounding and toughness, uh, and of course Rodman, I think, had five rings, right? Two with Detroit and three with uh, Chicago, and Ben had one, although he played in the playoffs uh, many many times, uh, and really. Was there a scarier guy on the court than Ben Wallace in his day? I mean, he was the kind of guy that he he used to have, like, these gigantic arms, okay? Yeah. yeah. And he used to put, like, those bands around yeah, him, which yeah. made him look even more like Popeye. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking yeah. to myself, I wouldn't go driving to the hoop if I was standing there.
1: I think the band should be in the Hall of Fame. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs>
2: And Paul Pierce, well, he's a special player in, the, in my personal history. But uh, look, and Chris Webber, I think Jared did a really good job kind of explaining his feelings on Chris Webber, a, f- a friend of his, a colleague, a former colleague at Turner. So uh, congratulations to all of them. I mean, they were all memorable, wonderful players who entertained us and played some great ball, right Otto? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Hey.
2: All right, it's about that time, ready to wrap things up for this week. Thank you once again to Jared Greenberg of Turner Sports, one of the bright voices of the NBA and somebody that we always enjoy seeing his interviews during the game. So thanks, uh, Jared, for coming on with us to preview the playoffs and share some thoughts on the Hall of Fame. Thank you to our producer, Daniel Kramer, and to our editor, Kristen Woolley. This week, listen to our other shows. Mike Wise will have Howard Beck on his next show. Uh, From Sports Illustrated, he and Mike discuss the NBA playoffs. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has plenty of great college hoop talk. Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks every Thursday. B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And Aaron Berlin will be back next week uh, to join Otto Strong for Catch and Shoot 2.0. Our big hope for
1: this year is that every person within the sound of my voice gets the COVID vaccine, just like... My colleague, Aaron Berlin did, and uh, you know, he's, he's feeling it, but uh, he, he, will, he will recover and he will be fine. But uh, look, everybody getting their, their shot will put an end to the pandemic. But as you know, we were, we're not there yet. So protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, wash your hands and maintain that social distance. That's so important. Uh, please don't forget the medical professionals and other frontline workers who are doing their best to keep us safe during this uh, pandemic. So former my partner, Bruce Bernstein, I like saying that, I'm Otto Strong. See you next week.
0: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.